Before we start this episode, I would like to take a minute to tell you about the upcoming Texas Woodworking Festival, where makers and enthusiasts come together to celebrate their love for the craft. Join us for this two-day event filled with fun, creativity, and inspiration. The festival brings together lumberyards, woodworking organizations and clubs, content creators, furniture makers, and tool manufacturers for a weekend of food, drinks, and all things woodworking. This year, the festival is launching educational seminars where you'll have the opportunity to learn from some true masters of the craft, including Frank Straza, Philip Morley, Kim McIntyre, and Andrew Hunter, just to name a few. The festival will be held in Austin, Texas on August 26th and 27th. Visit TexasWoodworkingFestival.com for more information and to buy tickets. Whether you're a seasoned woodworker or just starting out, there's something for everyone at the Texas Woodworking Festival. Hi, I'm Kyle, and on episode 448 of the MWA podcast, Mark, Brian, and myself are asking Andy Rawls the five questions. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out Andy's interview on episode 447. So before we get started with the five questions, Andy, and welcome back to the show, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, do we have a Patreon shout out for this episode? We do. Big thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. And today we're giving a extra big shout out to Sean Nichols. If it, well, thank you, Sean, for your support. If you would like to support the MWA podcast, go to www.patreon.com forward slash MWA podcast. So let's move on to the five questions. So uh, why don't you start us off there, Mark? All right, Andy, we talked a little bit about how you got into woodworking uh, as a professional. How did you get into, you know, just the desire to be a woodworker? Yeah, so I started messing around with woodworking tools and machinery in high school my dad had he had an old delta table saw and then a radial arm saw and you know i just bought two got two by fours from construction sites and just cut stuff up and made things and always loved doing that i went to school in waco at baylor university and that was about 30 minutes from my parents and at, as i was there my dad was kind of getting more and more interested in woodworking so he was adding more tools to his shop and he was getting into hand tools and i was intrigued by all that so I would drive home and try to build something for my apartment or whatever. And then there's this place outside of Waco uh, called Homestead Heritage, which this was around 2003, 2004. Um, at the time, it, it's it's kind of a community that um, they they teach classes in all kinds of different trades. They have pottery, woodworking, quilt making, gardening. It's a really cool little resource. If you're ever coming through central texas you know i'd recommend dropping in there but at the time paul sellers was the head teacher and frank straza was a teacher there paul i took it my dad got us a weekend course just cutting joinery by hand with paul sellers so i did that and that was that experience was really the catalyst that was like i, I just loved it i loved the shop i mean when you walk into the shop and it was like five workbenches and there was nothing there you didn't see any machines and Paul would pull you aside, the you know, a class of eight, show you how to cut a tenon by hand, and then you'd go to the workbench and do it. And I just, I just really fell in love with it. And so I continued just building furniture, um, took a few more classes here. I, I, I did uh, a table class with Paul, and then I, was op I had the opportunity to do a Windsor chair class with Frank. Um, and that was another you know, introduction to chair making for me where you spend, I think it was a week long class. You, you, you split a log out at the class and uh, shape the seat, do all the spindles, do the steam bending. Um, you basically finish with a finished chair. So, it, you know, that 
really that experience with Paul Sellers and Frank were what set me on the trajectory where I was kind of graduating college and I was like, I'm not going to, you know, I, I had gotten a, a degree in telecom, which is basically film and video production. And I, I just decided I was going to build furniture. So right after that, I applied for a competitive apprenticeship under Brian Boggs. I just stumbled across this on his website. He had this program at the time where you could come spend the summer and make a hundred dollars a week and live for free and basically work in the shop. Mm. So I applied for it and got it and drove up there and spent three months um, making ladder back chairs with him and three other guys. He had three employees there, uh, which obviously, you know, anyone who knows Brian Boggs was just probably one of the coolest experiences I ever had. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the woods in Kentucky, uh, peeling hickory bark off trees, feeding hickory bark through a machine he made that split it and rolled it up and did everything. Uh, so I left that, this is probably dragging on forever, but I left that. No. And, and <laughs> this is not only how you started, but how you finished. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm stop and see I left that, this kind of tails into what I talked to you guys about earlier. I left that, started making chairs in Waco around 2008, failed at that. And then had an opportunity to work for a guy who was a custom door maker for three years. And after that three years with him, I went off and started my business. And that was in 2013. So that was my journey from high schooler about the age of 17 through being uh, in my early 30s and starting my business. Oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah, we I think we picked up right about when you went, went back to Texas after uh, Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah so. And I, I had that like I, I got to know Brian pretty well to where I was able to go back the next summer and just hang out for a while. Cause I, dude, I was, you know, I was in my late twenties single, I had no commitments in life. So I was, you know, I was, had no problem Perfect going up there and age. hanging out. Yeah. Perfect maker age. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was also very poor, but I was okay. I loved what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just you That's to right. feed, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I could live yeah. on yeah. one yeah, I have noticed in your videos on the bench, you have the classic Paul Seller setup yeah. with quick release spice, and it yeah, it, it I, actually get a little bit proud of the bench. Yeah, yeah. I need, I, I, you know, I'm talking to Mark here, who makes amazing workbenches, but I I need to upgrade my bench setup. I love the Paul Seller's bench, but um, I built this thing out of two by fours in like 2004 when I was first learning furniture making. It's it's still serving yeah. me great, but it would be cool to have a a really nice workbench in the shop. Come on up, man. Yeah, I should. It'd be fun. <laughs> that would. Well, let's move on to the next question. So what's your favorite tool? And uh, we have a limit of 23. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like every time someone asks me, I always I always go to the draw knife and probably the draw knife in the spoke shave. And that, that all comes from spending time at Brian's shop on shaving mm -hmm. horses, just learning how to control your cuts, learning the skew, um, you know, it's it's one of those tools, one of those few tools that's so incredibly simple, but you can you can remove material quick, or you can do really thin shavings if you can control it right. And then also, furthermore, you can you know like Mark, you were showing those little faucets that you carve into the legs. You know, you can do those kind of little details off the ingrain of wood. So it's a really fun tool once you figure out how to use it and sharpen it, and then um, Kind of lat, kind of piggybacking off of that tool, the spoke shave is a lot of fun to use. So those those are probably my two favorite hand tools. And, and sadly, I don't I don't pull I don't I don't use them. I use spoke shave pretty often, but the draw knife spends a lot of time hanging on the wall. Unfortunately, I need to, I need to get back into chair making. You've only got one. I got three. 
So I got <laughs> yeah, there is like, not that's many. Like a I minimum. Know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, have, yeah. Yeah. You're not like a chairmaker, so you have at least a dozen, you know. <laughs> There's two or three that you buy when you're just trying to find a draw knife, yes. you know, and, yeah. and then you you know you you try to fix them and you realize no, this is not yeah. the effort. And then, you know, then you find that one good one and you get yep. back on that horse and you're buying everything you see again. And yeah. yeah, that was the one thing that I hated the most was the sawhorse. And I hate to say that, but like I, I would leave Brian's shop horse or, or sawhorse shave horse. I'm sorry. I said oh, okay. sawhorse shave horse. I would leave that shop during that apprenticeship with like the worst back pains every night because I just I, I, I guess the way my I sit, I wasn't postured well and it just wore my back out. And when I left his shop, I swore I wouldn't, I would never put one in my shop and I would just do it off the of vice, uh, which I've gotten by with to, to date. But I've, I've set in a few, I think I've, I've used one of Brian's newer saw horses and like I was blown away about how, how, how ergonomic. And I, I haven't gotten a chance to use yours, Martin, but I'm sure it's the same because it looks a lot kind of similar in style. But the way it clamps, the way you sit it, the comfort of it. But I got a really bad taste for saw for the shaving horse when I was. When I was doing that apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, um, the, a high vice is a really good, you know, much less expensive substitute for yeah. Yeah. a shave horse and a, and a heavy workbench. I mean, you, you, that's the thing about the shave horse that's hard to yeah. do on a, a lightweight bench yeah. is like hogging off those big bites of material. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, like, and the quickness uh, of moving the part. Yeah, it is fast. Yeah. Just, you know, just use your feet. But, yep. you know, I think if you're, if you're making a set of, you know, chairs and you're doing, th you know, 500 spindles, um, you, that's a really big concern. But I think if you're just, you know, working 30 minutes here and there, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you can get by with that one, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I absolutely love working on the shave horse, but yeah. Um, I, I, I used one of Brian's horses. Uh, it was, it was, I don't know. Uh, the seat was really uncomfortable, but I talked to yeah. Brian about it and he said, when they made that, they just messed the seat up. Um, yeah, you know, he, he doesn't ever use a seat that's shaped like that. And that was my biggest yeah. complaint about that yeah. horse. Um, but other than that, I mean, as with anything, you, you just, you, you learn how to use it and you yeah. get used to it and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you adapt. So. I bet I would change my mind if I sat on one of your horses. I was just look. I was, before we got on here, I was looking on like a website. I was like, yeah, that looks like it would work really well. You should come to, <laughs> you, you can, come uh, to Handworks. Yeah. Come to Handworks. Yeah, I, I should. Or you can That's on my birthday, man. That'd be fun. That'd be a fun birthday trip. Yeah. Come take the class. Well, yeah, I mean, come yeah. assist in the class. No, I would take it. <laughs> you've you've already done I all this it. stuff before. So uh, I need a refresher. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, you could run up to Blake Laurie's shop in Waco. He's got Dude, I've he's got been a whole following stable him. of my horses up there. So does he really? Okay. Yeah. I need I he, I'm very impressed with him. He's talented. So yeah, I need to go up and check him out. Yeah, yeah, he's a really nice guy, guy too. He's busy right now. I don't. You probably want to stay away until he's done with that cafe. It's always giant work. Yeah. yeah, good for him, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's nuts. Okay, uh, Andy. Uh, yes. Your next question is: Who has influenced you the most? Man, I, I it, as far as my woodworking journey, I really do think Paul Sellers has been um, the biggest influence. As far as you know, I he's the one who kind of got me on the path of being a furniture maker and. I feel like I always lean on on his a lot of his content as resources, especially in the hand tool world. So um, him and, you know, Frank Straza, who is about 30 minutes from my shop, are the two two guys that I really uh, feel like have influenced me the heaviest. 
Yeah, we're actually going to have Frank on shortly, and we'll have to see if he gives gives the same answer and puts you in there. <laughs> nah, I doubt it. <laughs> hey, you never know. I, I hope he doesn't. <laughs> I am so so bummed that I'm going to miss Frank. I'm going to be in Cleveland in May during that recording. So, well, yeah, he's. We did. I started a separate YouTube channel called Have It Made. Well, the the premise of the channel was to go film other craftsmen to try to highlight other talented people, and Frank mm-hmm. was one we did. And I man, he's just like the efficiency he has with hand tools is just super impressive. Like I would, I had a hard time filming that thing because I'm like, whoa, this dude's r- ripping through a hound's tooth dovetail in like 20, 30 minutes. Like, what's going on right now? Like, it was just fun to watch and the the tool selection, like. When I clear waste on pins, I I would always grab the one of the widest chisels I could fit. But Frank will pick up a quarter inch chisel because it just moves through the material so much quicker. And he would, you know, work through the waste really quick and then move to a wider chisel and go right to his knife wall. And so I was like, oh, I never thought of that. That's 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 one of those things that, you know, it's just cool seeing him where he's he's super talented and he's in the marketry now and that's a cool thing he's 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 kind of working into. So yeah. He's one of those guys. Is there anything in woodworking he's not yeah, absolutely exactly. excellent yeah. at? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the guy is just incredible. So, yeah. And any show you go to where he's demoing, you know, it's like he's got people like six deep, you know, in front of his booth. You know? Yeah. It's like he's a very good teacher. Yeah. Oh, he is. He is. And presenter. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great presenter. It's yeah. fantastic. And it's such a nice guy. Such a, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. giving yeah. guy. Yeah. So let's move on to the next question. Okay. Uh, well, what what has been your biggest stumbling block? I think the thing that I struggle the most with is is being a business owner. You know, I I love being a furniture maker, and once I decided to to do it as a living, you know, and I I got married and had kids, and the reality of life set in. It, like the struggle to, a, you know, a furniture business in and of itself is a is a really challenging business to operate because you're in it can be a lot easier if you find a little niche like a chair maker or a custom door maker or you just find a little pocket where you can focus on that Mm -hmm. but when you're a broad range custom furniture maker like i am like it's just it's really difficult to operate without a lot of waste and to just operate the business efficiently and so that that has always been i I, you know most of us as furniture makers think creatively in a more artistic mindset so it's rare that you find someone who has that and a business aptitude that's really sharp and I'm like mm-hmm. i i mean just if i'm always i'm always honest with people I'm like yeah like i struggle to figure out how to 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 like to really make the business i don't know what the word is but you know, that's that's my biggest struggle is just having that business mentality make it to make it function you know well yeah to make it function and to make it make honestly to make it make the money it should you know i mean yeah. You're, you're the way I operate and maybe it's part of the problem, but you're essentially like customer comes to you once, um, say they want this custom bed. Well, you're, you're guessing, you know, basically for me, I'm guessing I have a shop rate. So how much time is this going to take me to build and what's the material cost? So you're preloading your shop with this certain amount of time that they've paid for. You're locked into that now. And so you have to execute and build this piece within like what's, you know, 60, 70 hours. And the minute you realize, oh, wow, this is a <laughs> like 90% of the time, oh, this is a really hard thing to build. It's taking me more hours. So you just slowly diminish the amount of profit you make. And so that's, you know, I, I wish we were in a trade where I could say, I'll build you this bed. Here's the clock. Here's what it costs an hour. When I'm done, you pay me, you know, but that's just not, that's not what mm-hmm. it is. People can go 
you know, if I charge $6,000, $7,000 for a fairly basic dining room table, it's very easy for someone to be like, well, I'll just go get this somewhat, this one at Restoration Hardware. And, you know, people say you're not a compet, you don't compete with them, but um, a lot of times, you know, clients are just don't want to spend the money and they're going to just go get it at a big box store. Mm-hmm. And that and part of that too is just hitting the right market. You know, it's mm-hmm. taken me a long time to to branch away from clients that think and operate that way and find clients that are like, oh yeah, that's let's do it. You know, and they don't have any issues spending twelve, yeah. fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on a custom piece. So yeah, you need those Michael Fortune clients. Yes. Know? Yeah. Yes. I think he has like a stable of you know, 15 to 20 clients and yeah. he basically well, outfits their entire mansions with his furniture. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's where I think like what I think, what I've learned is yeah. you, you just become what you build. So yeah, if, if you say yes to the small stuff, which I've done for a long time, just cause you got to make, you got to pay the bills, pay yourself. Mm-hmm. You, you, it's hard to get away from that. Um, so the minute you can get someone who wants to come in and build a really high, you, you have to just, you got to find your way into those hiring clients because if you don't, you're going to get stuck, you know, building, building the low, I don't want to say lower end, but the stuff that's, mm-hmm. that's just not as high end, you know, yeah. that makes sense. Doesn't have the margin. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. One of the things that I, I talked to some people about on occasion that they're, they're looking at doing something like starting a wood shop. And uh, what I tell them is like, you need to market what you want to make. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no reason you can't do those other jobs, those little things yeah. uh, to pay the bills, but don't show them to anyone. Like, yeah, uh, you, I certainly don't put them on your on your website or your media. You need to be if you want to make ten thousand dollar boardroom tables. That's what you should be posting. Man, that that's it. Like, it took me a while <laughs> to learn that lesson. To be honest with you, like there yeah. there was a phase in my business where everyone in this part of Texas wanted a reclaimed dining room table, and mm-hmm. It was like go buy some barn wood and make it look old and rustic. And I did a couple of them and I posted them. And next thing you know, I've got all these people asking for them. And it was it was business, you know. And so I, I didn't I didn't say no probably when I should have. Like learning to say no is a big thing. But like you said, yeah. it just like I realized like man, I, like this I'm getting stuck in this like little channel here. I need to get out of this. And it hasn't been to the last like couple years for me that I've, I've found a couple architects, interior designers that are, that are working with really high end clients and I've, I've done really good work for them and it's, um, it's snowballed into other architects that are high end clients. So, you know, that's, it's, 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 I think you're hitting the nail on the head when you say that, Mark, you gotta, you gotta share what you want people to see, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with doing the other stuff to help pay the bills, but it's not necessarily the best idea to to promote that and market it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're in the perfect area in Texas for high end yeah. clients too, so I, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah, this is a pretty high income spot. Yeah. By the way, I should have mentioned this earlier. We keep referring to uh, Bernie, Texas, but uh, Bernie actually looks like it's spelled born. Yeah. Everyone says born. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone that doesn't know says born Texas. It's Bernie. It's Bernie. Bernie, Texas. Yep. I never in the hill country, like you're down re- in relation to Austin, where are you? If you go directly west of Austin, like an hour, and then go directly south, like 45 minutes, you you'll hit Bernie. So you're not far from Wimberley. No, I can be like to Phil Morley. I can get to his shop in like 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah, he's in Wimberley. Interesting. Okay, Andy, your last question is: How has the internet influenced your work? I I, I think that like. 
a lot of the social media platforms have helped. I've learned a lot from following other makers. And I think that's the coolest thing about it is, you know, there's some amazingly talented furniture makers far beyond what I'm doing on social media, posting stuff on Instagram that I, I see. And I'm like, you know, it's just, there's, there's almost an education to it. You see, you just, you, there's so much more you can see because you have access to their, if they're giving it, you have access to their shop, to the pieces they make. And then sometimes to their techniques in making them, um, which I think that's been very influential. And then I think being able to, to look into some of these, these shops of these guys doing just amazing work and seeing how they work, the workflow, their processes, there's a lot to learn there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing I get from some of the folks is just the workflow and, you know, how they're approaching different tasks and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. I always pick up something and uh, even some of the simplest stuff and just like, wow, I never thought about doing it that way. And, yeah. You know, it's yeah. like it's it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. I've, I picked up so many uh, interesting tips like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, like I'm I'm very much from a design perspective, like. I like to to have some level of inspiration mm-hmm. like and it's hard in this day and age to find any kind of i mean to be super original i think there's yeah. a lot of talented people that can do that but you know if i see something that someone's making and i, and I feel inspired by that like i can i can kind of I, I never want to recreate anything but i can carry that into my work like that i was telling y'all earlier about the the piece i'm making for um the guy in austin the bed that Mm-hmm. kind of the skeletonized case yep. where you can see the dovetails. I I picked up um, that idea from a local Texas San Antonio maker, um, and that was through Instagram. And I, I saw he built a piece like that. And it, it's, a, it's a lot different than what I'm doing, but the the concept was all the same. I was like, man, that's cool. And I, I feel like as um, makers, like it's great to have that, to bounce around those ideas and, and hopefully share ideas and give credit where credit's due. But uh you know, it, for me, I get a lot of inspiration for designs through through a lot of that. I, I think the people that lots of people consider to be very creative, I think they just have, they've been, they have exposure to more things because mm-hmm. it's like you said, the, these little details here and the little details there, they, sometimes they're just making it up, but other times yeah. it's just, they saw it somewhere. Yep. Um, and I think that um, the internet like expands our vocabulary. Our, our design vocabulary, mm-hmm. you know, and so it exposes us to other other ideas, other thoughts. And then, you know, when you once you start to expand your vocabulary, you can start putting it together in unique sentences. You yeah. know, you can yeah. create new things with other people's words. You know, and yeah. so yeah. absolutely, um, yeah, I think it's That's a great uh, way to put it. Well, cool. Well, let's move on to uh, where folks can find you. So, where can folks find you on the interwebs, Andy? Yeah. So I've got. A website www.andyrawls.com. My Instagram is AR Texas Woodcraft. And then um, YouTube is just Andy Rawls, R A W L S. Fantastic. Mark, what about yourself? Well, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Mark Builds It or on YouTube at The Joint Effort. And uh, if you're interested in subscribing to my weekly hand tool slash chair making focused newsletter you can subscribe at jointeffort.net forward slash mwa how about you brian uh, instagram is where you can find me and it's opst woodworks and opst is o b s t kyle how about you 
Uh, you can always find me on Instagram at Bart.Kyle or BB Custom Tools, bbcustomtools.com, or on YouTube under BB Custom Tools or Kyle Barton. And that just about wraps it up for this show. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on the podcatcher of your choice. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. And while you're there, please leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram at MWA underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support the podcast, go over to patreon.com slash MWA podcast. But the best thing you can do is tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussion.